Tremendous strides, dramatic improvement in offseason for the actual ages that no one has really documented or detailed except for a couple Instagram posts and whispers and, and maybe some weight loss. No, we are not talking about Mac Jones. It's NFL Network insider, hear me again, insider, Mike Giardi with the tremendous strides and dramatic improvement. Uh, welcome back, buddy. Hey, good to be back. Uh, I'll hire you as my agent now. I'll write that check out. We're all good. Let's do it. Excellent. So Mike is finally, finally back at Pat's Interference. Uh, first ever guest. We did 10 to 15 minutes. You have since cracked my security, driven all the way back from Rochester to your home to sit down here Tuesday afternoon and record. You have some takes, some intel, and a very patient look on your face. Like, we don't know where this <laughs> ride is going next. But um, you do have a rundown. So yeah. the, the essence of the rundown, as you saw, and I'm going to explain to the listeners now, is that it's basically my fourth training camp related episode. And some people are just starting to roll out the preview content this week in New England. I am not. You can find every position battle, breakout player, surprise cut candidate, all that on my Twitter, bostonherald.com, and in old episodes. So at the dawn of training camp opens Wednesday, the 27th, I just want to do the big picture stuff. Like, let's do the fun. Let's do the goods. So you have six questions. We're going to tackle all the biggest topics and some mailbag stuff at the end um, before I start spending time like you do in Foxborough, like we are unwanted in our own homes. So <laughs> leading off right to it, the most obvious Patriot storyline in training camp that excites you the most is what? It's, it's Mac. It's the growth from year one to year two. I mean, I was consistent with how I viewed Mac last year. I thought he was pretty good. You know, you, people throw out all these things. I just thought there was a good level of play. He pretty much carried that level of play from start to finish. You know, with, with the obvious, there's some valleys and then there's some peaks. But I thought for a, for a rookie campaign with what was around him, uh, what was put on his plate, I thought that that was a really nice rookie year. And I've heard this narrative over and over again. Um, and it even started before the draft about like, well, is he already sort of maxed out? Is he already sort of a finished product? And I hate that narrative because, okay, look, there are more athletic guys. We know, you know, the, you know, whatever. If you're the Justin Fields, Trey Lance, who still haven't proven they can play in the league, but their ability to move around and do all these sorts of things. And this is the way the position is trending. And I've still been this guy that believes there's good defenses you're going to face in the postseason, and you're going to have to beat teams from the pocket. And I thought he showed you at times last year that he might be capable of doing that on a regular basis for a good football team. So I, I'm excited about that part. I don't think he's capped out at all because I think his brain is only going to get stronger. I think his body, as we've seen, is going to get stronger. I think that would lead to his arm getting a little bit stronger and maybe some of those throws it lollipopped in there just barely didn't get there or just barely got there might have a little bit more zip on him and that to me is like part of the growth tom brady uh you know i know people hate this when you bring up brady oh, he's not brady i'm just saying when tom brady came in tom brady was far from a finished product and by the time you know four five six years into his tenure as a quarterback you're like oh this guy's pretty good and then he took another jump then so, and he's not the most athletically gifted guy. Yes, he might be a physical freak in terms of the injury and all that stuff and his commitment, but the quarterback here seems pretty maniacal too. So, um, you know, I'm just excited to see how this progresses. Yeah, it's interesting to me, and you hit on it there, the idea that you have to still win from the pocket, come third down, come inside the red zone, as much as we have been fascinated the last five, 10 years. And it really goes before that with mobile quarterbacks. And the way I put it on this podcast a couple of times is, 
you see the trend. Zach Wilson is a great example and the parallel of him being taken where he was by the Jets last year. Mac Jones goes later as someone who specializes in that kind of offense. What can I do to extend a play? What can I do when I'm throwing off platform? How can I create yardage of my own? Much like a basketball player might in the last seconds of a shot clock. For Mac Jones, I've compared this offense to this is all half court. There's no transition. There's no one-on-one. There's no fast break. Can you still win that way? Is a basketball analogy, of course, but in the NFL. The Patriots believe, yes, you have seen investments in quarterbacks who do all of what was previously seen as the specialized stuff, the bonus, the, you know, the luxury items on the list of the quarterback scouting report. Trey Lance can throw from the pocket. He's got a big arm. Zach Wilson's the same way. Are they going to be right? Or are we going to be pulled into this new era where, sure, most of the quarterbacks are mobile, but is that a necessity? I don't know the answer. I think that's just the more fascinating component where we've talked about Mac. He's going to be better. He's making this year two leap. Like he hasn't even hit the field yet. We've just assumed he's 50% better for me though. And this is, is tied to that conversation of do you win in the pocket? Do you win extending plays is the new look offense. And I've talked about this in my last episode, things that I heard, but as far as the new system and how much this changed, do you see this as, you know, we're going to change a couple I don't know, like the the siding is going to be different or do you have new pillars and kind of new infrastructure here? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I just, I'm reluctant to go like full on commitment. I've heard some dribs and drabs, like you've heard some dribs and drabs. I just want to see it play out. It's to me, I, I, I don't feel like I have a full picture of what's happening. We've heard even some players talk about oh, things are a little bit different. And then when you talk to some people in the building, they push back and say, look, we, you know, you guys are getting a little carried away with some of this stuff. So I don't. Not us. No, never. Yeah, not but, us. No, but I say with them, you don't really know who to believe all the time. So this is one of those ones where I'm like, I trust this guy over here, but I trust this guy over here. So let's just, I kind of, I kind of want to see it. I know that's not necessarily you're doing a show. You want, you want a firm answer, but I don't know that I have one yet. I just, I haven't seen enough. Uh, I didn't see enough in OTAs to make me believe, oh, this is a dramatic difference from, you know, what has been basically in place for 20 years. Um, But I certainly think some of the things that we did talk about during OTAs and some of the things that the players talked about and Bill saying streamline, you know, the verbiage of the play calls, they just kept adding on to it because they had Tom, right? And they had Josh. So this thing that was 15 words long became 20, became 20. It just... And I think when you look back on some of their inabilities to, especially with younger receivers, but even some guys that have been in the league for a long time coming in and having a hard time adjusting to what they were doing here. I think some of that wasn't just their evaluation. Some of that is just how much was asked of these guys. And maybe by making this thing a little bit tighter and a little bit faster and giving a guy eight or 10 seconds when he gets to the line of scrimmage to look at what the defense is doing versus four or three or like having to your brain is going in a million different directions maybe this speeds things up and maybe allows some of these guys to play a little bit faster which obviously we it's the way to go that's what you want you want these guys to play as fast as possible yeah and i'm laughing because as you're talking about their brains going in a million different directions that's where mine is going right now because you can even go back to the selection of mac jones right and i just described half of that quarterback class trevor lawrence was going number one we didn't know about justin fields or Trey Lance, so there were some hints, and of course, Zach Wilson's in there too. You know, I viewed the selection of Mac Jones at the time as a commitment by the Patriots to their system in place, because Mac Jones, of all those quarterbacks, fit exactly what they wanted and was the closest Brady parallel. Again, not his future, not his potential, not his career, 
but the stylistically, that's who he was. And now after a year where he plugs into the offense as the most pro ready quarterback into the system, they're going, we need to change. And I still think it's the right one, but it's interesting because do they go and stay within the pocket with a similar system or do they try to expand with some of the boot stuff that we saw in OTAs and minicamp? Because ultimately, and I said this on EEI last week and talking to people who are in and around that staff, the system just kind of buckled. It didn't collapse because they were still top 10 scoring offense, but it buckled under the weight of its own complexity for all the reasons you just said. Guys cannot play fast enough. They're making six to eight different reads for the receivers pre and post snap on a single play. And my analogy on EI was imagine doing that as you're easing into an intersection as a driver. You've been driving for how long, Mike Jerry? Long time. Long time. Imagine six to eight decisions you have to make at every single stoplight, every single stop sign before you just get back on the road and get to the next play. Like that was how things were going. So the things I've heard, again, you want them less confused. We need to play faster and you don't need to have an answer to every single defensive counter, which is why that offense continued to build out. So what does it look like? If you had a guess now based on the little, we know, again, this is my obvious storyline, but what does this new offense look like? Well, I think we're definitely going to see a little bit more of the zone running scheme. I think we've talked Mm -hmm. about that. I think you saw some signs of that that makes you believe there's going to be a little bit more of that, but from a passing concept, I can see them doing some of the stuff that we saw in OTAs. And then I can see them saying, you know what? Our guy's still best when he's right back there. Um, and, and he's in the pocket and he's operating that way. And he's going through and he's processing because I think that's, he's got the computer chip up there. He's, he, he processes so very well. And I, I get trying to put some wrinkles in like that. I think obviously, and I, I think I did a series of tweets about this at one point during the spring and talking to guys across the league that, you know, like the view around here is, oh, he's not athletic at all. But then you watched him play and you're like, you know what? He does have some athleticism, the tennis player, the feet, there's some stuff there that he does. No, he's not running a four or five forty, um, but he can move in the pocket. Um, maybe he can occasionally boot out there, but I, I do still feel like when it comes to that part of the offense, I still think their best answer is to just have him back there. Um, and using his brain and his arm to pick things apart. Yeah, I, I don't know how many seasons Brady ran for over 100 yards, you know, but that's what Mac Jones did, 129. And you look right. at the first couple of series against Buffalo in the wild card loss, and we get caught up in 47 to 17. And we should. It was the best offensive performance in NFL playoff history yes. against the greatest defensive mind. But Mac Jones back then, extending plays through scramble, and then later with his arm, kept that offense going. That's the stuff that you kind of like to see tapped in. He was one of the few guys that played well in that. I, yeah. I know what the end results are. Uh, and the Micah Hyde interception, like, I thought it was a phenomenal play. Yes, the ball could have been four more inches outside. Um, right. And that comes with time, dealing with weather, dealing with conditions, all those sorts of things. But, like, he was one of the few guys that I thought could probably stand up afterwards and say, you know, can't hang this one on me. I, I, I gave you something. And one of the guys who gave you something, I, I gave you something that day. Yeah. And, and Micah Hyde, um, he's pretty good. So yeah, like no, that. I mean, that, that was, look, that was a phenomenal play. Yeah. I, I just like, I, 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 you can nitpick it a little bit cause you're, you know, just a little bit more to the outside, but it was still a phenomenal finish to that play. Like, and maybe your receiver could have helped you out too. I, you know, 
Yeah. Talk and you know what, a little bit. just to put a bow in the offense discussion, because look, we don't know. We're not at the meetings. They haven't hit the field yet. This is still a lot of installation specifically to come in the first week or two of camp. The sure. Patriots, and I mentioned this again on EI, the staff is still tweaking, revising, putting together the system as recently as last week. So they don't have a definitive answer. And for the folks who would be worried about Joe Judge and Matt Patricia installing this offense, first of all, you have every right to be. And we'll stash the Judge and Patricia conversation for later. But I would say don't be worried in the sense that they'll be too predictable. Because you look at some of the offenses that have given Belichick problems over the years. And you can go back as far back as Mike Shanahan's Broncos, Peyton Manning with the Colts, even the Eagles offense in that Super Bowl. They were simple with enough built-in versatility to keep you guessing. Like, we're going to have just enough plays that look similarly, and then you won't know which is coming, and we're going to master these certain concepts that you just can't out-execute them. You have to know what's coming and then still out-playing us. So I think there's no fullback, which means they're not going to lead the league in 21 personnel, which they've been trading off with San Francisco since Kyle Shanahan got there in 2017. So where do those fullback snaps go on the 20 to 25% that they use them? Is an extra tight end, is a receiver? We don't know. But I think if they go into more 11 personnel, you know, the McVay-Shanahan offense, you know, comparisons and blowing that up isn't so far-fetched because McVay certainly over the years has run a lot of 11 personnel. All right, the obvious stuff off the table. Number two, question number two, the the under-the-radar storyline for you that excites you the most is? Ramondre Stevenson. Yes. You know, he... He ran with such ferocity last year. It was just reminiscent of sort of that old school, but yet there's so much athleticism that went with the power, so much speed that went with the power. Um, he was a, an awesome watch last year. I, I think he's talked about trying to develop his game a little bit. Obviously, he wants to be a bit of more of a force as a receiver. I think that would certainly help. I don't, you don't want to get too, oh, this guy's in, and this is the only thing they do with him. But I think he has the potential to be one of the best backs to come through here, just based on what we saw last year. And again, there's, there's a lot of growing to do for this player, um, but there's such an explosion and such a power to his game that I just I'm really curious to see. Now you played a year in the league. You're a little bit more confident. You know, the playbook a little bit better, even if this playbook is changing, the scheme is changing a little bit. Um, now, what do you do in year two? I, I guess in some ways it's sort of similar to Mac, not everything's riding on Ramadre like it is with Mac, but I just, I'm really curious to see where this goes because I was actually thinking about it. Some of the things he did last year were reminiscent of 2004 when Corey Dillon was here and he rushed for 1,685 yards. Um, Corey had just a a nasty streak, both on the field and off the field, I think you could say, (laughs) uh, if you know his history, but um, Ramadre has that, but then the, the footwork, Sometimes there's really for a guy that size is pretty damn impressive. So incredibly light feet. And that was yes, the first thing is. I remember seeing him. He, he was out of shape last year, started on PUP. And yeah. within a week I'm writing, he's just going to levitate for a first down or two, the way his feet move and are barely on the ground for a yeah. dude who's 230 pounds. Yeah. And now he like, there's no excuse. Now he knows, you know, what it's yeah. all about, what he has to do. I think he showed up in, in the spring. I think we saw a guy who was, in considerably better shape, understanding the rigors of the NFL season and the expectations on him. Um, so that's a fun little competition too, because I, Damien's a good running back, right? But Damien's entering the last year of his deal. Um, we've seen over time, the Patriots sometimes might mess with a guy's touches or playing time to sort of keep the number down on a contract. <laughs> I don't know that um, 
there'd be a huge appetite to pay Damian big money when they feel like they can keep churning out running backs. They drafted, you know, a couple more in the draft. We'll see what that's all about um, when we get to see these guys in pads. But it's just that's going to be fun. And it's something to keep an eye on, because if Ramondre does take a step here in the summer and one of these young backs is actually someone that they consider could play right away, then maybe you know, something we talked about in the spring that maybe Damien does become someone you could say, Hey, you know what? We could use a little help here or, you know, let's get a third round pick for him. Let's which was what we, you drafted him for. Maybe someone's crazy enough to pay a second because they got an injury at that position. Um, but that will be something to watch as, as we go forward. But I, I just, I'm looking forward to seeing him when, when you're in full pads and there's some contact and, and what he does. Yeah, I'm not quite there yet on Damien Harris. And I, I, this has been asked a few times on Twitter. Oh, what do you trade him? Because you know, I just, there is only so much value to a running back in the last year of his contract. who's probably in his prime right now where I am all the way in is Ramondre Stevenson. And I have to show some self-restraint because he has been discussed on this podcast. I mentioned the third pre-training camp related podcast enough, just way too much. I am very excited. It is Ramondre Stevenson season. And it's just a matter of his numbers were better from an efficiency and an analytical standpoint. Last year, you give that type of guy more volume going into year two, you should only expect greater things. And I'm really glad you brought up Corey Dillon, not because it's a one for one comparison, but at the heart of both of their games is a power back, right? Like a guy who's going to go through you, a guy you don't want to meet one-on-one with the hole, but they had a little extra to their games that just was very well-rounded. So I think Stevenson is a good comp, not only because when you're saying he could be one of the best backs to come through here, you think 23 years of Bill Belichick, that's a very long time. How could that be? You know, through, through that time for other franchises, there could be a hall of famer or two in that span. Corey Dillon is probably still the best Patriots running back with the Belichick yeah. era, right? Yeah. I don't even think it's close. I mean, that yeah. what he did that year. Um, look, they've had some nice little flavors. You know, the, the, the Dion Lewis for seven or eight mm-hmm. games was phenomenal. Uh, that one season before he blew out his knee. Um, I know there's people love Kevin Falk, but Kevin Falk wasn't an every down back. He wasn't the guy that you turn to and was carrying the ball 25 times in a game for 125 yards. I think this guy's capable of being the workhorse. Uh, Whether they do that or not, I don't know. You know, we we certainly have seen how uh, team street running backs, there's very few guys. They're the quote unquote bell cow guys, but he's just, He's awesome to watch. I, I I remember saying number of times last year, I still think I'm kind of pissed at Kyle Brennan, good morning football. Cause I don't think Ramondre ever won angry runs. Oh and wow! It was almost like every week for a stretch there of five or six weeks where he steals souls. Like he's just, he just lowers and just absolutely just, you see the guy's knees go weak, you know, and he keeps going. It's, the it's Carolina game. I, yeah, I look had, forward to that. Had so much disrespect. Like, you know, when your laptop overheats and you hear the fans starting to go internally, like that was the whole time. <laughs> me rewinding and watching that game and breaking it down. It was just a stiff arm here and a knee to the helmet there. Like yeah. that's 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 his game. Like you're talking about a guy who's a little bit nastier on the field, but as we found out, it was kind of soft spoken. Uh, but again, okay. I said what four minutes ago I would restrain myself. Yeah, this, you put put your pants back on. Yeah, Everything's yeah, okay. all right. <laughs> uh, I'll do another running back under the radar storyline for me. Two rookies. Pierre Strong is one. You know, look, he's not as fast as Tyquan Thornton, but he's as close as you need to be for a guy who runs in the four threes. He might return kicks. He's got soft hands. I'm not ready to go in and say he'll make an impact. Jim McBride on this podcast said he'll lead in all purpose yards. I love the boldness of that prediction. Oh, Jim McBride. Don't yes. So. Ooh. There, there's a there's talent there, right? Though he, yeah. he's, he's just got a fumbling issue, and he's a mid round pick, playing running back for the Patriots, which historically, not including Ramondre Stevenson, 
um, you know, means you're going to miss a year, that first year. Just sit out. We'll see you the following season. The other rookie that has not received a lot of hype, and, and Belichick said he is, quote, active now after sitting out and being limited as he recovered from shoulder surgery, Marcus Jones. This guy is one of the best returners in college football history. Let me repeat that. College football history yeah. ever, 150-plus years. He has sticky man-to-man skills. The coaches at Houston loved him from what I talked about, not just on the field but off the field, and you know that's even sifting through all the coaches' cliches. The trouble is, of course, he's five foot eight, and this is really going to put short arms. Don't forget the short arms. Yep, yep, with the arms, of course, important. (laughs) But the history of five foot eight corners in the last couple of years, there's been one in the NFL that have multiple pass breakups. So he's fighting history. He's fighting players that are bigger than him, and sometimes an injury history. But when the ball is in his hands, I have tried to been asked people in the organization, "How excited are you about Marcus Jones? Can you come meet me at this level of excitement for Marcus Jones?" They go. just give me a week. I, he, we need to see the speed against the speed. But but in that, I hear excitement. So those are the two the two that I like. And I'll just can I just add Jack Jones to that? Like, yes, I like yeah, of course. And again, I, I preface this because I'm very I'm a stickler on this. Shorts and t-shirts is what we saw him in. So I can only base on what I saw there. I'm not going to take this big leap. But there's a lot of people who are very high on his skill set. Feel like he was he should have been drafted much higher. I, I, Sometimes the production didn't necessarily meet. You look at his speed, timed out speed, you're like, yeah, is it? But I think when we saw him in camp, very sticky. Always around the football. And when you look at that position, which we're going to get into, at least from my side next, um, they could use somebody. And maybe he becomes the latest in a long line of either undrafted or guys that are drafted later in the draft that turn out to be pretty good players for this football team. All right, so we've just hit two things that excite us. And before we get to question number three, which is what are two things that concern you, I want to take, again, these small examples and blow them up into a larger conversation because I think the, the, the Patriots have clearly bet on themselves, right, as far as the drafting and development component goes, which is really interesting because, of course, last year in 2021, they paid, literally paid hundreds of millions of dollars for their admitted screw-ups in the draft from about 2016 to 2019. A year later, they're not spending in free agency and betting on their 2020, 2021, and now 2022 draft classes to not just kind of buoy them or keep them afloat or push them forward. Obviously, this is a big, scary bet considering that track record from 16 to 19. I think the good news is you can consider 2021 a big success. Mac Jones, Christian Barmore, um, remind, I'm not going to say his name. You know who we're talking about. He plays running back. He's gorgeous. Um, but 2022 is probably the most pan draft class in the entire league does that speak to you in any sort of way should we just skip that larger point that they're now betting on draft and development is it is it you know foolhardy is it a good idea what do you think of that I mean look there were some curious decisions I think when you talk to people across the league and yeah there were some people that said like well hey look you know Cole Strange wasn't going to get by you know the the mid-50s or something so they decided that's a position of need. We're not going to risk this. We're going to do the Tyquan Thornton. Someone's got, he's, you know, everybody says he's a fourth or fifth round guy. We have a higher grade. We think there's some teams around where we were picking that we're going to pick him or be interested in him. So we're going to do it again. It to me, like I have, I, I've said it a bunch of times since I trust them when it comes to evaluating offensive linemen. I really do. I think Cole Strange is probably going to be a really good player for them for a long time. Um, whether he has rookie growing pains, I don't know, you know, coming from a little bit different level of competition, but I, I trust that pick again, you can question the wisdom of doing it where they did it. Um, but to me, I look at all this stuff now and I just say, 
there were some zags that we're not used to. Thornton, obviously, we've talked about the the skinny wrists and the the just his overall weight it's, it's, and yeah, the, the skinny yeah. everything is the yeah, trouble. right. Like it's that's yeah. that they've never gone that way before. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a big roll of the dice. Um, the the Jones boys, the same thing. You know, like Jack is really skinny. He's 100, I think, 73 pounds coming out of college. Marcus, the short arms, short period. Um, so is he a specialty pick or can he contribute as a corner? Usually when you're picking a guy in the third round and you need help, and they, I think we can all agree they've needed some help, you expect that he's going to play at some point and impact your defense, never mind what he does as a special teams player. So um, I, I'm going to take a wait and see attitude, but I look, it's curious. There's a, there were a lot of curious decisions and they're either going to be proven that they're wicked smart, you know, right. They, they, they got their brains turned on and they, they're ahead of the, of us and everybody else, they know what they're doing or they're going to prove to be, well, they had a couple of nice drafts and then they went back to being a little bit crazy. And we saw when they got a little bit crazy in 16, 17 and 18, and those didn't work. So um, we'll see it on the field, but yeah, I, I think they deserve to be critiqued that, your track record hasn't been good enough over the last five, six years, which is why, as you mentioned, they had to spend a zillion dollars in free agency, which by the way, a few of those guys, you know, they're just okay. Yeah. You they're can, making you a could, lot of money. You could say uh, they were curious or wait and see as you did, or just yes. go for it like you more recently did and just say, yeah, a lot of money, not so great production. Uh, yeah. Two quick things on that. And then we will get to the two things that concern you because you hit on one corner for me is obvious. Um, and I'll just tell you the other one outside linebacker and you can, you know, either run with those or, or, or say your two parts, the two things in the draft, of course, we're going to wait and see secondarily. It was just that they went so far against historical prototype, which is great. We all want change. We're saying you need to change your process. 2021 was different for all the reasons we documented back then big success. It just felt like swinging so far in the other direction where I talked about this with Phil Perry, your old friend and colleague. It was just like you're dating a girl who's got a screw loose and it's fun for a couple months. And you're like, wow, my apartment's on fire when I left the house right before I was going to tell her we were breaking up (laughs) or after I did. And then you're going for someone who's going to bed by nine o'clock on Friday or Saturday night. Like you just you can't go so far in the other direction with, you know, the prototypes for Taekwon Thornton and taking an offensive lineman in the first round for the first time or offensive guard since 2005, a position they had literally invested the least amount of draft capital because they're just churning out all these late round guys. So. I think there was a medium to be found, but who knows? Like you said, they might know better. And I trust their intel. They knew Kyle Duggar was falling in 2020. Sure. They knew Mac Jones was falling in 2021. So as far as Cole Strange and Taekwon Thornton, I trust that part of their process. They were, you know, though, I, I will say what I want to add to that is Macro was pretty bullish. And maybe that's just Matt's personality. I think, you know, we're still getting to know him. Yes. Um, he's still getting to know being in front of, you know, cameras and microphones. It's a, it's, it's a different process and not everybody you know, steps into it and is charming and crushes it. He, he has a distinct personality. I think that at least what we saw, or at least very reserved, but when it came to those picks, he's pretty confident in those picks. So, you know, that again, sort of opens you up to a little bit of scrutiny. If these picks don't work out, he was on his toes before there was any question that could have kind of rocked yes. him back in his heels, which, you know what, as far as Patriot press conferences go, bring it on, like bring the heat to us. Because yeah. normally we're just putting out fires right before we can even light a match or do anything to warm our hands. You're just yeah. putting everything out and putting it down. So if Macro wants to do that, and I can tell you from people I talked to and profiling him, um, yes, when he believes in something, that's it might as well kind of be gospel. Very, very secure in sure. his beliefs. And look, 
you know, he should be. I like that confidence. Yeah, I, I do. But again, it's it's going to come down to results. You better be right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's focus. Um, I, I mentioned corner and outside linebacker. These are the two things that concern uh, me. Right, do we have any overlap there? We are we are in complete overlappingness. Okay. If that's a word, I, I would just say linebacker. Period. Um, oh. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, look, I, I'm not. I've never been a huge Juwan Bentley guy. I think he's fine. I don't think he moves great side to side. And I think we're seeing in this league, that's kind of where it's going and where that position's going. It may have something to do with you having four playable safeties that could be on the field all at the same time, which, you know, they're getting a, they're getting a lot of buzz for that. I think that's sort of been in play for a while now. I don't think they've invented this, this idea. I think we're seeing a lot of 225 pound linebackers quote unquote yeah, they, linebackers they've played four safeties. I want to say it's, it's no more than 10 snaps the last couple of years. So it's yeah. been in their reserves and peppers introduces that he's also kind of a depth piece. So like one Absolutely. of the four is going to get her. Yeah. He, I mean, I, I know Joe's a fan of him and that's part of why he's here and he has special teams value for sure. He hasn't been a great player in this league. Not, not even for a season like it. So he's to your point, more of a depth piece, but I, yeah, I just I don't I don't know that they have the answers at that linebacker level um, across the board. And I think even if you want to include, you know, Judon as an edge piece slash including him as a linebacker, his back half of the season wasn't very good um, as a pass rusher and as a run defender. They paid him a lot of money. And I think in the first whatever, eight, 10 games when we were maybe talking about him as a candidate for defensive player of the year, they got banged for their buck. He swears there was no injury, but there was clearly a drop off in play. I think there might've even been a couple moments late in the year where Some he COVID. got taken off the field. Yeah. So um, they need more from him because again, that's a massive investment. And based on his resume and based on what we saw early in last season, the first half of the season, like he's their best defensive player, but he needs to be their best defensive player from week one into January and they of course hope into February. So, yeah. um, but Josh Uche, is he a scheme fit? I, you know, I get them trying to build some depth, lining him up at middle linebacker in camp. They did that. I think his rookie year for a little bit too. I don't see him as that player. He's, he's an edge guy. Let him pin his ears back and let him go. And if that means he's a specialty guy, so what if he's, he, he has more bend at the top of his pass rush and more athleticism than I think anybody they have. I don't think Judon is, has that and Judon's, you know, a double digit sack guy. So um, play to his strength and just let him go. And if he's not a great run defender, then most of the time on first and second down, don't put him out there. Um, but on third down and you got to pin your ears back, then his ass should be out there. So uh, what's that Ronnie Perkins? We didn't see anything of, I know Steven Belichick said he's in their plans. Um, okay, great. He should be because he was a third round pick. Now we got to see it because we haven't, we haven't seen it. Cameron McGrone, like people talk about Cameron McGrone, even some people inside that building. Publicly. And media too. The, the Publicly. Media, we got to, we got to ease that on the Cameron McGrone thing because we've never seen the dude play. Um, it's not like the way people make it sound is like Teddy Bruschi is coming through the door. With I mean, dreads. Again, I don't, yeah. how the hell would we know? We haven't seen it. And was he that kind of player at Michigan? Before the injury, good player, but I, I don't know that anyone would have said Cam McGrown was like going to be a cornerstone piece of your defense. But now the way they're putting this all together, it looks like there's a lot riding on 
someone like Cameron Grone or Ronnie Perkins to step up and be good players. And we don't know if they are or not. Yeah. And, and all right, let's, let's hit corners quickly and stash that. Cause this needs no explanation. If you want to have a good solid cornerback group, you need all of this to happen. No exception. Jalen Mills needs to be healthy again, at least mm-hmm. minimum 14, 15 games. Sure. Malcolm Butler doesn't need to be prime Malcolm Butler, but he needs to be close. Like at least about 80% of that guy, because Terrence Mitchell's peak is about 80% of what Malcolm Butler used to be. And right. he was signed ideally as a depth corner. And you need Jack Jones to come up and compete and be able to fill in for those games that Jalen Mills misses or Malcolm Butler does, because you really need three outside corners in today's league. And that's assuming that Jonathan Jones still on PUP coming off a shoulder surgery is all good in the slot because those are the bodies you have. Then you're getting into the Juwan Williams, Sean Wade discount bin of discarded old draft picks and draft busts. You know, you basically know how that's going to turn out. Right. Okay. Corner's done. Clear, obvious concern. The linebacker one is really interesting for a lot of different reasons, and, and it touches on the stuff that I just mentioned. The Patriots have gone and spent to atone for their draft sins, and now they're banking on development. Development at linebacker, specifically on the edge, has been a real weakness for this team going back to Chase Winovich in 19. Chase Winovich is gone. You hit on Josh Uche, Anthony Jennings, both picked in 2020. What have we seen from them in two years? Albeit, I forgot Anthony Jennings was on the team. Like, right. you don't like, I mean, I know he's on the team, but like, you don't, you're thinking and you're rolling through the Rolodex of players who could contribute and maybe make an impact. And again, third round pick, right? Like, you, and that's not even my brain. That's just all you need to know about him. 2021, Ronnie Perkins, redshirted last year. Now, the reason I bring this up is because I'm on the record and on this podcast and other places. I think Steve Belichick has done a very, very good job as the defensive play caller. As far as coaching and development goes, this is his position, and we haven't seen a whole lot yet. So not only just have a question mark for this upcoming season, but you have question marks in the preceding years where you need to develop those guys. And again, COVID and, you know, the, how the pandemic affected the season and cross-training guys like Uche and Jennings and Jennings getting hurt is going to interfere and not allow for a linear progression that they continue to get better and better and better. And last year you had Dante Hightower, Kyle Van Noy, and um, Jamie Collins. Gone, gone, gone. They're going to stunt your growth. They're going to eat up a lot of reps for these guys. I just don't have a lot of confidence from the development standpoint and the individual prospects themselves that unless Ronnie Perkins really hits you have an early down guy that Belichick trusts to set the edge because that was also something you touched on Judon. Look, he was fourth or fifth in total pressures. And after the bye week last year, like outpaced by Van Noy, Christian Barmore has been great, but you just, that's a position at outside linebacker. that's going to affect the run and the pass and was a real reason why they struggled and went one and four after having the number one seed in the AFC last year. Yes. All right. Yeah, absolute. I mean, it was just a, a massive drop off and it was a failure in a, in a whole bunch of places, offense, defense, with spe- I mean, special teams, which, you know, you, you could do that on your time, but yeah. not, not a lot of fun on special teams last year either. So, I mean, there were a lot of things that happened. Yeah. that It just, it's funny to me because I always look at, we know Bill and the value he places on his safeties and their ability to communicate. That's an important position for him, but he's had those guys at linebacker, for the entire run, right? For for two decades, it's, you know, whether it's Brewski and and Ted Johnson and Willie McGinnis uh, and Mike Vrabel to uh, Hightower Man. coming in and making the impact. Then, you know, they picked Van Noy was a, was a great addition for them for a few years. Like they've had all these pieces, Mayo, obviously. Um, who's the next guy? Like you got to have a, you have to have talented, smart players there. And I, again, massive question marks on all the guys that we brought up. 
with no resumes. Uche has no real NFL resume. McGrone has no NFL resume. Ronnie Perkins, no NFL resume. Jawan Bentley, he's fine. Like he's he's a serviceable player. I'm I don't want to insult him. He 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 has a role. He's good at his role, but like he's not a guy I want out there. You know, for 85 percent of the snaps, I just don't. Yeah, on Bentley, uh, I think he's resigned for two years, nine million. Okay, that's the, yeah, the market told gonna, him. Here's what I want to say though: Who's going to pay him? Well, that's because that's his value, right? Like yeah. the, the NFL can speak for you, Mike Giardi. Yes. You don't have to go on anymore. That was I mean, a it's, is, isn't it? Isn't it sort of speaking for Dante Hightower, who you know, when I talked to him two months ago, still wanted to play football. I know there's been some mixed messages since, but like, what is he? He's a thumping linebacker. You know, like who's older, maybe when he was younger, he did move better side to side. Now he doesn't. So the league is saying it's really not much use for these guys anymore. Yeah. And look, I'm, I'm a little higher on Bentley than you, because I think his value in high leverage situations, goal line, third and short, fourth and short plays that mean matter than second and eight is higher because he's exceptional with his instincts and in finding the hole. And of course, meeting someone there and knocking them back, including against Dallas with that goal line stand and having the forced fumble. But it's just the high leverage situations are fewer than all your third downs where he's off the field. I think they've offset some concerns. And inside linebacker where dating back to 2017, Belichick is putting Patrick Chung in the box, then Kyle Ducker and Adrian Phillips to, to take away some of those inside linebacker snaps. But it is a question mark for me. It's just half the size of the edge guys. Hey guys, just a quick break brought to you by Bet Online AG. As we get back into football season, there is plenty of money to be made outside of fantasy football, and it starts with your season-long bets at Bet Online AG because Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports, NFL, NBA season-long futures. The NHL is not that far away, and of course, Major League Baseball. Are the Sox going to sink or swim in the second half? Find out, bet, and win or lose with them. Even golf, live golf is exploding. Find everything on Bet Online because Bet Online continues to be the top online resource for all your information from live in-game betting props in the aforementioned future so head to bet online today and use the promo code clns50 clns50 to get a 50 percent welcome bonus on your first deposit it's 50 percent. just put in clns50 for your 50 percent welcome bonus because bet online is where the game starts all right swinging back positive um i led this podcast by joking with the terminology that Bill Belichick gave Mac Jones, tremendous yeah. strides, dramatic improvement. Bill Belichick has said, look at me. I am the captain now, the conductor now of the Mac Jones hype train. And he puts on the hat and he is in the front car, full steam ahead, no stops, railway runs forever. So where are you, Mike Giardi, on this Mac Jones hype train? Are you in the first car, the second car, the caboose? Are you letting it go by you standing at the station going, he's still an average No, I mean, I, I guess I'm in the first car. I, I see All right. value in the player. I, I, look, I'm not going to be out. Yes, I, I'm in the first car. I'm definitely in the first car. You're, it's a crowded car. That's like Peter Schrager. Bill Simmons is in there. Bill obviously is Simmons. in the front. Yeah, don't Belichick. get me started. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I, I go back to last summer and telling Schrager on Good Morning Football and those guys, like, he's a badass. Like, there's a sneaky element to him that you guys hadn't seen yet that we were getting players telling us. And then I think you've seen that sort of develop more and more. Um, so I like that part of him. I love, you know, and I, I talked about this quite a bit on the air a few weeks ago about the lengths that he's gone to this offseason to go to the guys and everyone's like, well, you know, maybe, you know, he could do it better and have them come to him. We'll go to one place. No, he, he was going on their terms and, and seeing that like he, 
it showed me a little something and he did it with not just your stars, your better players, but he did it with the, the Montgomery's and Christian Wilkerson, like little Jordan Humphrey who yes. signed, I think two hours ago yes. and they were, they were in Texas. Working right. And, and I just, I love that. And it just, to me, it's proved what I've been told quite a bit during the course of the off season about just his ownership of everything. Um, which to, to me is something to get really excited about. Like it, it matters that, I mentioned it early. There's a maniacal side to him when it comes to football. It's really, really important. Um, and the guy that was here for 20 years, for the better part of 20 years, was maniacal about it as well. Now, as he got older and he had all the answers to the test, maybe um, he was able to take his foot off the accelerator a little bit with some of this stuff. But then you could also argue that maybe in doing that, maybe he didn't give some of the newer players the opportunity to. Um, feel as comfortable with him as maybe they did 10 years ago when he was still building who he was when he became established was like kind of meet me on my territory. Uh, I'm going to set the standard. And if you don't come to me, then I don't really have much time for you. I think Mac is showing I'm going to set the standard, but I'm also willing to go wherever and do whatever because I, th this is my team. I, I think he's embracing that whole thing. Um, so I, I love that part about it to me that I don't, you still have to be a good football player. Like this is still going to come down to is Mac Jones, a good football player. Is he, is he someone you want to give a second contract to, um, yeah. and build your program around. But I think all signs for a year plus make me feel comfortable that he's headed in the right direction. Yeah. I'm as far as the hype train goes, I, I'm not letting it pass me by. Okay. I'm not still at the station watching it disappear into the distance. I'm probably a few cards up though from the caboose. Like I, I think there's there's a good gap between the folks who say, like Mike Tannenbaum did, former NFL GM, and maybe this yes. is the TV part of it because we're in July. What else are we going to talk about? He's right. a quote sneaky MVP candidate. Like you can take that and put your actual money on it if you want at the casino because yeah. there's no way in hell I'm going to do that. Yeah. However, people who are stuck, and we saw this in Mike Sando's annual quarterback tiers, came out earlier this week or last week, I can't remember, where he's the 18th best quarterback. In the it's league, about right. Or, it's yeah. about fair. Right. Yeah. According to a poll of executives, I would go a little bit higher. I think projecting him out for this season, second year in the system, even though it's been changed, better weapons, just he's more comfortable. He's better. This is the best he's ever been. I think he could meet or surpass the likes of Matt Ryan or Kirk Cousins in terms of raw production because the, the grading there and the efficiency was better than Ryan, who I think is going to bounce back in a huge way with the Colts. But these are pocket-bound guys who managed to overcome that lack of mobility or whatever you want to call it to thrive and win. And can they carry the team at this point? Probably not. I'm also not going to expect that from a second-year quarterback, all right? right. The, the quarterback play at the top has probably been the best it's ever been in recent, maybe entire NFL history, at least up there for discussion in the last 10 years. Sure. So absolutely, I, I would put him this year probably somewhere 12th to 15th best quarterback. And I think, I that, think that's – yeah, I think that's, that's realistic for him. If he grows yeah. the way I think – the signs are pointing in that direction, then yeah. And then I think you, you can win a championship, maybe not this year with that team, but with that quality of a quarterback. Now, does he ever become a, a top 10 quarterback? I, I don't, I don't know. Like, again, you're, you're asking me to forecast something two or three years down the line. I mean, it took, took Tom a long time to become who Tom became, you know, the breaking records in 2007, like there was a period of growth and, and he's, he's still going to grow. It's going to be, it's going to be a process. It doesn't just happen like that, even though yes, there have been some guys like Herbert who've come in and have blown up, but Herbert hasn't made the playoffs either. 
Right? But also so, has the natural talent that goes, right. okay, you're 15 and 17 as a starter, and I don't want to do the QB wins thing. Right. But, you know, that's the yeah. part that a detractor would point to. Where that dude is literally carrying the Chargers downfield fourth down after fourth down after fourth down in that game against the Raiders because of the natural talent of his arm and to throw it in there, low goal line, rolling left across his body, and he makes it fit in sure. there. Like, Mac has that accuracy, doesn't have that arm, and that no. now as we continue to evolve physically at the position at a rate that I think is unprecedented, credit to sports science, credit to kids playing quarterback from age eight all the way until 18, and then they get drafted at 20. It just, Mac again, is a sign of their commitment to winning the way they've always won and thinking you can do that and play offense. It's different this year, but I just, if you want to be at the top, there's got to be an upgrade physically. And that's just, you know, we'll see how much of an upgrade he has. I just don't think. Yeah, it I, and see, that's to me, the point about the narrative, like, is he maxed out physically? I don't, how the hell can you say that? Like, right. You can, I totally agree. You can make improvements if he's, mono- I mean, again, Tom Brady comes in and he's, got the you know the dad bod when he's 22 you know he, he got man boobs for god's sakes maybe not man boobs but you know what i mean it just this is, it this is two pod appearances out of three that you've dropped man boobs with me this was jack mason in, in 2019 and the now deceased yeah. new england no huddle podcast yeah yeah you, gotta, you know what else was very adrian waddle adrian waddle was a big man boob guy too just just throwing it out there you can just add him to the list no but i mean like so he transformed his body and he did it over the course of four five six seven eight ten years like it was a process for him to get to that point where he felt comfortable and you know stopped icing because you know he had the the tb12 stuff but I'm, i'm just saying it was a process i think for a lot of these guys you learn what works and what doesn't work you learn hey you know what arm wasn't good enough last year but i can get it better like I maybe I'm never gonna be the guy like you know that can throw it out of the stadium like Mahomes or Allen. Fine, you know Josh Allen's six foot five, two hundred forty five pounds. I'm not gonna be that, but my arm can get better, and I'm gonna make sure it gets better. I think he's committed to that sort of stuff. My feet can get quicker. My feet are good; they can get better. I think he's committed to that stuff. So, um, you know, what is it? How much does that improve you over time? I, I don't know. Five percent, ten percent. Who the, Mac who Jones, the hell knows? Mac Jones but, is turning twenty four in September. Yeah. If you know any 23-year-olds in your life or in any world of athletics that have maxed out at 23, okay, j- jump into my mentions. Shoot me anyway, because right. <laughs> I, I, I doubt they exist, and that's yeah. fine, especially one who has all of the advanced cutting-edge sports science behind him and nutrition and everything that he's going to do. No, he's not going to be running a 4-4 to a 4-7, but, like, he can escape and scramble. That's That'll be fine. But, well, yeah. I mean, we'll see. I mean, that, that's the bottom line. He's not only just turning 24 physically – but mentally in his development as a quarterback, like, of course he could be in the top 10 discussion down the road. It's just a matter of we're not there yet. You know, same yeah, conversation. Right, exactly. last year. Don't go, don't put him there yet. Cause you like him. Yeah. But he could be there right. one day. Wait, let's, yeah. let's see, because if let it, let it breathe. Let yeah. It breathe. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's, let's leave it there. Question okay. number five, defensively, are we underrating how much change is, is either already here or coming soon? And, and we've talked about the linebackers. We hit on the corners. I don't think we need to revisit any of that, but I think, whether you look at them as individual pieces moving in and out or kind of a sea change, as I wrote about last week, where this is a new era for linebacker, like Benoit, Hightower, Collins, gone, gone, gone. Okay. Before them, Mayo, he's coaching. Same guys you mentioned even before Mayo. What does this look like? The secondary is one of the worst, probably, well, the corners are worst 10 in the league. I'd say it's probably an average secondary. Yeah. Um, That's where they leaned on in the last four or five years. That's got to change. Do you see a pass rush? Like big picture changes. Is it, is it going to be as big as I think, or is it a little bit smaller and they're just going to put the pieces in and make it all fit somehow? 
I mean, I think the writing's, I think it's sort of out there that it does feel like it's going to be a bigger change and that, that it um, maybe somewhat by necessity, maybe somewhat by desire to do it this way. Um, but, you know, they love to, in Foxborough or the fan base, they love to point out like that uh, they, they were a top five defense and like, shut up. Like, uh, don't, don't, don't give me that because it doesn't matter and you know it doesn't matter. What matters was how they finished the season and how they were exposed. And I think Bill has long been a guy who, if you go back in his history, the last game, the last couple of games leave an imprint on him. Like that recency bias that we try to avoid in the media or we get accused of doing all the time. Bill has that in his history where he looks at something that happened late in the year and his team gets thrashed like they did in Buffalo and says, nope, not running it back like that again, not doing it. You know, love Hightower, love him to death. Um, maybe if we're in a situation uh, where we had an emergency, we might call him. But, like, we're going to try to do this. We're going to try to be younger. We're going to try to be more athletic. We're going to try to be faster. Yeah, we've got these four safeties. Maybe we're going to play around with that a little bit. Maybe you're going to see some of that. Um, maybe, as we saw Barmore at times be dominant last year, maybe take the shackles off of him. Maybe some of the two-gap stuff that – you still insist on getting into sometimes maybe you say no just go go get the guy well go to your point guy. kyle van noy cutting kyle van noy was the first real move of the offseason that's yep. exactly what you're talking about yep exactly and that's it and we haven't even heard them connected to those sort of like you're not hearing those things bubble up like if it doesn't go well they'll call this guy or you know they're, they're still looking at, at, at jamie Con whatever it might be like no they understand they have to commit to this and see what happens now could they if it's a disaster could they bail on it yeah they could i you know they're not going to sit there and say we're going to go five and 12 i don't think anybody has the appetite for that and watch these guys get destroyed but i think the idea is to let's see what happens we invested be it draft capital whatever we're going to let these guys get some snaps get the experience here in the summer and early in the season and hope that we see the growth that you know internally i think they're projecting for some of these guys yeah i think a lot of different ways you can go into this and we could get pulled into another scheme conversation like I lean to in the offense. I think that's the most interesting part of the offense. Also, because we, we know the players in there, right? You know, the main characters, the offense. A lot of this has been carried over from last year. We don't know, aside from maybe Devin McCourty and Matthew Judon, the main characters on defense. So there's an element of, you know, this scheme could change. But also, I think whatever version of the system that they play, because this playbook is massive. They just narrow it down as the season goes on. This defense is going to be defined by Christian Barmore. This defense is going to be defined by whomever is the second inside linebacker next to Juwan Bentley in early downs, or maybe by himself when Bentley goes off on a third down. This defense is going to be defined by Kyle Duggar and Jack Jones. Like the, this, this ties together their recent draft picks, their young talent that needs to come up, and they'll build the system around that. I like the idea of what you were talking. Maybe let's play some more four down because you know what? Okay, Matt Judon's a little smaller for a traditional four, three end, which again, is really, it's all nickel. So it's four, two or three, three, sure. five, whatever it's going to be, but you've got Dietrich Wise on the other side and frees up Christian Barmore to do what he does best. By all means, go and do that because the other part about this, and maybe I'm making too much of it. Steve Belichick and Gerard Mayer are no longer recognized as outside linebackers coach and inside linebackers coach. They're just linebacker coaches. And they're always going to have the flexibility of this two gap, single gap stuff. Do you make anything of that, what I've said about the personnel or the switch and coaching title, which when Mayo got here, 
was an important distinction the way they played defense in 19. Yeah, I, you know, <laughs> I, I think a lot of times with the title thing, Bill has this thing, as we've seen quite a bit here over the last few months with some of his answers about titles and scoffing at going back and scoffing at it after, you know, it's sort of processed in his mind for five seconds, titles, titles um, to, to our guy, Phil. Um, yeah. Part of me thinks that they just, that they do it to bleep with us. You and know I, what though, I, I, I agree with you, but if titles are not a big deal for any other team in the league, the reason we have to ask is because you're doing something different. If you're doing something different, you have a reason for that. And titles become important when, well, I'm the head coach. All responsibility goes to me. Like he's deflecting away from. Right. You know, he doesn't want, if it goes badly with judge and Patricia, he does not want the, the, you know, the rain, the storm to rain down on them. Right. And that's fine. I know there are some people like, fine, good bill. Yeah. We'll blame you for everything. If it, <laughs> and if it's good, we'll, we'll probably give you credit, but certainly if it, if it's, if it goes sideways, he's going to, he's going to catch heat for it. Yeah. Um, all right. Just to wrap quickly on the defense. Um, Look, they could be a lot faster if McGrone comes through and you're playing more safeties and, right. and you've got that range. We just we just don't know. I mean, are you what what do you feel most comfortable, not predicting, but feeling the number one change you're gonna notice on a larger scale with this defense is is it faster? Are you playing more zone coverage or you're doing more signal I think, stuff? Well, yeah, I would say to me it's it, just based on personnel, it feels like you're playing more zone. Um, yeah, yeah combination platters of that because you took jc you remove him from this equation jc covered uh, and i forget who had the stat it was 46.4 percent of the time he covered the number one receiver and traveled with him last year 46.4 that was number one in the entire league and he's gone and and as to our point earlier you replaced him with a depth guy and mitchell malcolm who hasn't played in a year and who was okay the year before and was quite awful i think the, the first year he was in tennessee uh and then you've got you know jack jones who look I, I i like what i saw in the spring but it was in the spring and uh we'll see if his body can handle full pads and contact and all that sort of nonsense um so that that to me it just it reeks of being more of a zone team and then you start looking at the schedule and you start looking at playing josh twice and yeah, that gives me the like that could just be that could be a repeat of you know giving up a million points in the playoffs. Yeah, you thought uh, Stefan Diggs roasted J.C. Jackson over campfire. Um, wait till he gets a shot at uh, Terrence Mitchell. All Oof. due respect. All right, finishing question number six. Then we'll get to mailbag. Offensive play caller. Uh, we're in a holding pattern here with Bill until week one. It seems because he is returned every sort of serve or question or whatever spin you want to put on it. Who's going to be calling plays? You know, when you'll name a play caller, what's Joe judge doing that Patricia, we know their roles. What was reported back in January and February has told true Joe judge with the quarterbacks in the passing game, Matt mm -hmm. Patricia, the offensive line and the running game. That's all I got. I, I, personally, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm okay to wait and see if I had to put a bet, it would be Joe judge. Tom Kern comes out this week. He feels very strongly. It'll be Matt Patricia. Uh, look, I don't think whether you pick one or the other or believe one, the ceiling or expectation is great for the reasons of Matt Patricia's not coached offense since 2005. Joe Judge did it once in that span at any level, and that was receivers in 19 when, according to our friend Tom, they were blow-ups practice because they were like, yeah. we don't know what you're talking about. So yeah. pick one. The, the expectations are going to be low. The system is going to be new. What, what, do you, what else do you have besides that? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm completely with you. I'm, I'm, I'm not, 
I don't want people to let them off the hook for this decision no. and how it plays out. Because again, we're talking about you, you spent a first round pick and you devoted a lot of energy and time to Mac Jones, who was in turn devoted a lot of energy now to you and your program. And, but he was shepherded through that whole process last year with Josh. And that was a critical relationship. And there was a lot of trust there and a lot of belief coming both ways on that. And now you're turning it over and the, the fewer voices in his head, the better. And it goes, it goes for all of us, I think. Right, yeah. it was true. It's true. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm warring with myself right now yeah, yeah. about how much I want to say, but I, I just, it, it would be disastrous if this decision and the way this plays out makes Mac go backwards and makes you question whether or not he's the guy. Because I think, again, all signs to me point like it's going in the right direction, but coaching can screw this up. You know, Trevor Lawrence was a can't-miss prospect, right? The best guy coming out of college as a quarterback since Andrew Luck, and after a year with Urban Meyer and Daryl Bevel and all the crap that went there, uh, you know, Sandoz tears, people were like, you know, there was a lot of moments where it was kind of like, ooh, not a lot of wow moments, a lot of like, ooh, why did he do that? What's going on? And you look at the history of this league, you know, Sam Darnold, uh, whatever they're just there's a bunch of guys you can mention that never became what we thought they were going to be because in part because of bad coaching and maybe in large part because of bad coaching and, and just bad organizational structure around them and one of the great things about the Patriots over 20 years is the consistency of the program and yes Bill is still there and there are plenty of Bill guys in place but I think that people continue to discount Josh's overall value to the organization and to Max growth last year and Joe judge and Matt Patricia with no resumes really on the offensive side to speak of are now in charge of that guy who again, and we heard from Slater and, and McCordy, like this is, if it's not his team right now, which I believe it's his team now, even with those guys here, it's eventually going to be his team or it's supposed to be his team. Well, not if it goes sideways this year. Then you start to wonder, did they pick the wrong guy? Should they have traded? Like, there's a million things that come into play um, that, you know, with a more established, respected guy in the position, maybe we wouldn't have that trepidation. But th this is what they've – this is what they want. This is what he's decided to do. You give him the benefit of the doubt because usually he's pretty good about this stuff. But it's a risk. It's a big ro a dice roll to me. Yeah, as far as the coaching can screw this up, you're 100% right. People at home don't have to listen or trust Mike Giardi. They can hear Bill Belichick say this, that players win games and coaches lose them. So your examples are all spot on. Looking back very quickly, I think we, and I'm guilty of this too, writing about the team, thinking about it, how things are going to function. You know, we might understate um, – you know, McDaniel's importance. And again, this kind of goes against something I said earlier that the, the offense just buckled under the weight of its complexity. He kept building and building and building it out after restricting in 2020. And that got to be problematic, but we are definitely understating. However you feel about McDaniel's the loss of the assistance around him. Mick Lombardi receivers coach gone. Carmen Brasillo offensive line coach gone. Your assistant quarterbacks coach, Bo Hardegree gone. Ivan fears lead running backs coach retired. That is a lot of brain power there that you just lost. And I think change Massive. could be good for this you offense. Don't, yeah, it, sorry, sorry to interrupt, but you just don't – I think because of the, the slack that Bill gets, rightfully so, because of the resume, right? There's a, I mean, 
I don't think you can't criticize him. I believe he, he should be criticized. I think everyone it goes for anyone over the last few years, but he does have this resume where you, you know, there is a tendency to be like, I, I, I can see giving him the benefit of the doubt here, but to lose all that is massive. And it just, no one wants to talk about Ivan fears, you know, that's not, Oh, Ivan, funny guy, told good stories, swore in press conferences. Like, they don't really know the impact he made behind the scenes, not just as a coach, but his personality, the way he drove some guys. Um, yeah, there's just there's a lot of people that were important uh, over the last few years, or in, in Josh's case, basically two decades, that aren't here anymore. And you, you just don't replace that. It's not that it takes time to replace guys like that. So there's there's there were going to be growing pains one way or the other. You know, whether you had brought Bill O'Brien back or whatever, or had hired someone like Adam Gase, who I know was a name that was mentioned early on in the process, who has obviously play calling experience for many years, whether that was good play calling experience or not, I don't know. But like, um, there was going to be a process anyways. And those are with experienced guys. Now you're taking it and you're putting guys that have zero experience on the offensive side of the ball, you know, by and large. And you're saying, go ahead. Right. And again, and again, I'm the person in this podcast that it says change for the offense is good. Again, simple, simplified is good. And it's also the fact that Buffalo really mastered all of your pet plays and your favorite actions. Like since McDermott took over in 2017, the Patriots have scored fewer than 20 points per game against the Bills. That's the team you need to be. That's the team you need to build yourself up in order to be. And you're not going to be doing it scoring 19 or fewer points per game. That being said, you brought up the point of experience, which is what I was getting to listing all those names. What does experience mean? Experience means, you know, how quickly and how well you can problem solve with a variety of different issues. It could be on game day where Brady and McDaniels have spoken to early in our relationship. You look at that Super Bowl in 07, they didn't have an answer for what the Giants were doing or they couldn't arrive at it quickly enough and they lose the game. Now you have a lot of very young coaches, Vinny Sanceri right there, running backs coach, you know, Troy Brown and Ross Douglas. Ross Douglas is the youngest coach in the NFL in charge of a position group. Nick Cayley, most tenured assistant on staff, I don't know, late thirties, early forties. Like I'm surprised it wasn't more in the mix. It's just a matter of, do you have enough answers for this offense and how quickly can you get to them for guys who haven't been thinking that way? I, I think the change is good. It's just, are you betting on the people to implement that change the right people in place. And that's a conversation we've heard. But really quickly, um, you've talked to people the last six, seven months, however long they were put in these new roles about Joe Judge and Matt Patricia. Give me 30 seconds on what people are saying on each of these guys or what's the most important thing you've heard about each of them. I think you would be, well, maybe you would be surprised at the amount of respect for Joe based on how it ended with the Giants and you know some of those press conferences that obviously clearly went sideways. Um, but I think that people around the league believe that he, he works his ass off, that he knows football and that he inherited a situation roster wise that just wasn't good. And it didn't get better in year two. And most people put that on Gettleman and, and ownership for allowing that to happen and Gettleman to be basically a lame duck GM in that last year. Um, so I, I think I have, a lot of confidence that what Bill sees in Joe might be deserved. You know, I mean, I still have to, obviously we still have to see it play out. I liked him as a special teams coach. He's, you know, he's an interesting personality for sure. Uh, I know the radio guys love to call him a hardo, whatever. Uh, it doesn't bother me the way he talks. 
Because uh, the, su- the southern accent for a guy from Philly who spent most of his career <laughs> in New England is interesting. <laughs> yeah, it is. Like, it feels like it's a bunch of different things squished together. Yeah. Uh, for me, but yeah. So I, I think. Um, Look, I think a lot of people think it's curious that he would maybe be put in charge of the offense, but I think that there's a confidence that the guy's a smart guy and that he he can be a good coach in this league. Um, maybe not a head coach, but maybe a coordinator uh, for a long time. Look, Matt's time in Detroit was bad, and some of Matt's behavior rubbed people the wrong way. I I think I think Matt is. I'm trying to, the best way to describe it is almost like he's a bit of a lone wolf, which is kind of what Bill became, you know, like he sort of separated himself from the pack when he did what he did to end up in New England. Uh, And then the way he sort of processed things and the way he treated media and all that. And I think Matt tried to be him in Detroit and it was a disaster. And I think people kind of scoffed at what he did and how he did it there. Um, you know, he actually broke, people felt like he broke down a, a decent team, a team that wasn't going to win a championship with Caldwell, but, but was a decent team and that he stripped that down um, and forced some good players to be like, I, I don't even want to be here. I'm not doing this, not with this guy. So I, I think from an outside perspective, I don't know that there's a, a, a massive amount of respect there, but I don't think it matters because I think internally they love the dude. I think ownership loves them. We know Bill loves them. I mean, they're, they're not just close from a professional standpoint. They're close from a personal standpoint. I think they think he's brilliant. And I think there's, I mean, obviously his, his college degree says he is brilliant. Uh, and I think they think that there's some brilliance in his football stuff. So they gave him a lot of stuff when he came back, uh, different things with the front office. And he's, he's sort of touched all parts of the organization. So I don't know that they even care what anybody else thinks outside because I think internally they believe they got themselves a really good coach. So they do not. I will tell you. <laughs> they be- Hey, they they believe it. Yeah, they, no, we I, do I'm, or not. I'm they glad you came it. around there because not because it, it's a little bit more positive for Matt Patricia. Look, like this business is nothing if not transparent. There are wins, there are losses. All of our work is public. Say what you will about media. It's out there. People can judge it for themselves. And when Mm -hmm. you judged his tenure in Detroit, you said the right word, disaster. Now, Detroit is in the past. Matt Patricia has been here now for a second straight season as a, quote, senior football advisor, now offensive line coach. And I think at least from the small glimpses we've seen where he's connecting with players, some of whom echo the exact same thing you've said publicly. He's brilliant. He knows more about football than anyone. Those are positive things. He's also shown at least a small willingness in our very brief conversations with him via Zoom. And look, anyone can fake it for 15 to 20 minutes. He made an effort to strike a different tone with the media. And look, he is someone in a position that needs to be on kind of a redemption tour. The best way to redeem yourself is to coach your ass off. And I think he's going to want to do that, whether he's motivated uh, out of self-interest, out of for the team, or because Bill's his boss and he's back here, whatever the reason is, I think if he's willing to adapt, that's the best hope and sign for someone who's got enough smarts and experience. It's just, how are you conveying that and applying it in developing the players who, you know, are now out of position in Isaiah Wynn and Trent Brown or a rookie in Cole Strange or coming off an injury in David Andrews. That's not as stable a group as it's been in years past. So, and it's a big, important job, which might even be bigger if he's offensive coordinator. (laughs) Right. I mean, you're, I mean, you still don't, you keep coming back to the dynamic of 
Well, if Matt's calling plays, but when Matt comes off the field, Matt's sitting down with Joe and looking at the tablet with Joe because Matt's got to go over and talk to his offensive line, which offensive line coaches do between series, just like the offensive coordinator slash quarterbacks coach did with Mac last year. And for all those years with Brady, like that's a crazy balancing act, but you, the Patricia thing, you know, it does fascinate me. It really does. Because I think when you talk to players that played for him in his previous life with the Patriots, um, they didn't always love him, but they respected him. And there are, there are plenty of guys, Rob Ninkovich, who I briefly did a podcast with many, well, a couple of years ago, like reveres the dude. Like, yeah, I hated him sometimes. It's but, a beard thing. Rob yeah, maybe, and maybe, but there's just like, he was able to connect with those guys and push right buttons with those guys. So you know, maybe he just wasn't ready to be a head coach. Maybe he's just not meant to be a head coach. I, I don't know. I, he, you know, depending on what happens here with the redemption tour, he might get another opportunity somewhere down the line, be it elsewhere, or maybe be it here down the line as a head coach. I, I don't know. I just, I, I'm really curious to watch that um, because, and, and to hear from the players on how he's communicating um, and just sort of gauge how that all works because there, there's definitely a part of me that believes he's as good as they think he is inside doing what he's doing now uh, and, and being a positional coach and maybe being the coordinator. So um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's crazy to think when you talk about all these people, but I can't keep, I have to keep coming back to the feeling in the building and the feeling from some of the guys that played from him about him. Like I can't discount. I know what happened in Detroit. I know it was a disaster. I know there are a million people that'll willingly stand up and say, he sucked. It was terrible. I, I would never want to play for that guy. But then you talk to the people here who were around him the longest and were around him in a role that is, again, going to be similar this year. And they're like, dude, he's a good coach, smart guy, put us in the right place a lot. Like, so, you know, again, it's a different role in terms of offense versus defense. But, you know, I, I don't think Matt's been hanging out on the beach, you know, drinking my ties i think he's been you know he might have done a little bit of that but i think he's he's studying to be what he's going to be and and how this is going to go i think it's important to him yeah he's not pulling a giardi you know double no, fisting no. my ties the, the summer giardi's over though sadly <laughs> yeah all right uh that leads us into the first mailbag question six questions are done thank you for taking time with that which is funny because i start out with i have nothing else to add like i'm just ready for week one and who's got the headsets and matt patricia or joe judge i don't really care you're right. It is a fascinating dynamic because there are some very shallow, and I will leave it at this. It's kind of the Mac Jones, Tom Brady comparison. Belichick was not particularly well liked by certain people in Cleveland nope. or New York or New England. But nope. when your work speaks for itself or if you're getting it right often enough, you forgive the gruffness. And even some people who have come to New England now since then and seen the six rings just go, it's not for me. But if, if you coach well enough, you get 51% versus the 50 who don't like you. And obviously, it depends on the person, but if he does a good job coaching, that that's gonna nothing else is gonna matter. That's, that's yeah, and like and then all this ancillary stuff, like the way he dealt with the media in Detroit, or what you're saying, like he's you know trying to make a little bit more of an effort to connect with us and and being yeah. more personable. The, the guys in the building, the players, they don't care about that as long as he's not throwing them under the bus personally. No. But I'm just saying, like so. You know, I think sometimes the superficial way you look at it from the outside is like, oh, this guy's gruff and he's arrogant. And he thinks, you know, the Malcolm Butler play was like, that was his play. He made that happen. You know, that whole, that whole thing. Like, um, the guys don't care about that. Like, again, put me in the right place. 
t- tell me what I'm supposed to be doing. Coach me the way I want to be coached or, or coach me the way I need to be coached in some instances. And if it works, I have the utmost confidence in that guy. You know, I'll keep turning to that guy saying, what do I do? How, you know, how do, how do I get better? I think Minkovich is one of the guys who tell you like, I just constantly like, how do I, how do I, what do you want? What do you want next? What do I got to do next? You know? So, yeah. And all that media stuff, it just fuels the fire in whatever direction the wind was already blowing. If you're Absolutely. feeling miserably, look at this jerk. What like does he have to stand on? If you're winning like Belichick has the 22 to 23 years that he has in New England and you know, look, not all of our questions are the best. He's being kind of a jerk and retort. It goes, look at how hilarious this is. Like that's my mentions every day. I'm like, all right, well, do you want me to ask hey, questions like, to get you information or do you want me to just sit there and be silent? Cause then he's not <laughs> funny and you don't know anything. Right. It's like, look at the way Mike McDaniel's being received in Miami right now. Like, yes, yes. Here's a young head coach. He's quirky. He's funny. He's doing different stuff. Like, this is all great. If they start the season one and three or oh and four, so it just doesn't, you know, like the Sean Payton to Miami and Tom Brady to Miami, that whole thing will get revved right up. And that guy, will, the, the view will be completely different. Like right now it's great. It's like the shiny new toy and he's cool, but you know, let's see what happens when they go through a tough spell, which invariably you probably will at some point. How do the players respond to him? How does the media and the fans, the whole thing. I can't wait to have you back on for Brady going to the Dolphins because you're just oh, going to melt be- down like you almost did in the first pot. <laughs> All right. I said great. we were going to the offensive line. First question for the mailbag. This is from Mark via Twitter. Do you think Trent Brown was given any indication he might be moved to left tackle? Uh, and do you think he'll be okay with that since he was locked in for two years at a below market value? contract for a left tackle as far as the below market value look that's that's earned he, he he's not reliable he's played i think 24 of the last 50 games which is spread over the last three seasons and frankly right tackles are getting paid almost in line with left tackles nowadays because pressure in your face in case you missed it isn't so great compared yeah. to pressure from behind both are problematic so that's been corrected i think in the market and you were shaking your head so i'll just let you take it from here yeah, no, I don't believe that that was a discussion. I think Trent likes it here. I think he feels respected by the coaching staff. And for whatever, you know, whether it's right or wrong, he did not feel that way with the Raiders or certainly at the end of his time with San Francisco. So, um, and then to your point, I like, look, dude, this might be the best money you get. Because again, of what you said, he hasn't been on the field consistently for three years now. Um, and last year, quite frankly, I don't think that when he came back, he was the sort of the same player that we remember him as uh, certainly during that Super Bowl season when he was fantastic. So no, I, I don't think there was any, you're a tackle. This is what we're going to pay you. Do you want it or are you not? And bam, deal's done. He's here. And if they tell him he's going to play left tackle, you know, like, Hey, look, I, I could see if he has an awesome year as a left tackle, something getting done there. Um, but for now, tough. This is, you know that this was the best thing for you to do. This was the best deal that was out there for you. You know, you're playing wherever we tell you to play. Right. And I think it's important to, you know, he was the last key piece to kind of come back into the fold. I think and resign, took a visit to Seattle. Other teams really like to have Trent Brown, particularly at that number. But the Patriots had all the leverage here. When you consider Trent Brown was on the record being like, I want to stay here. This is where I fit. This is where I want to be long-term. Okay. We know that second you say those words publicly, we can offer you less. And when you look at the totality of the deal, I mean, this was a uh, two-year contract with an $11.5 million base. Like, that is nothing for offensive tackles. And if you haven't played and you want to be here, you're going to sign for that. And you know what that also is? Packed with incentives. So that'll be the can- the carrot that they'll dangle. 
as they did all throughout 2018 with him and try to get the most out of him. As far as switching to play left tackle, I don't know anything about that, but if your starting tackle right or left side is counting for about 2% of your cap, you've done good business. Um, yes. Last two questions. These are all about the off, the outside linebackers. So I'm going to kind of combine them. This is from Chris, uh, Chris via Twitter DM and then Josh Parolin. Forgive me if I'm uh, mispronouncing your last name, Josh. Um, Josh wants to know expectations for Ronnie Perkins, anything you've heard about him. Chris is a little down. Why does Bill draft guys like Uche and Winovich if they're later described as not fitting the system? I'll just say Uche and Winovich. Um, Winovich fit their prototype on the edge to AT as a prospect. I had a conversation with Daniel Jeremiah who said, look, you can see this coming from a mile away. That was my first draft that I covered on the beat. He was on my 10 potential fits and I hit on him. It's just sometimes the players are not as good in practice as they are in theory. And it just, that's the draft. It's a series of bets. He's a third rounder. It just didn't work. Uche, they've kind of messed around with what position he's going to play. We already talked about this cross training inside linebacker on the edge. He's not a particularly good run defender. That's going to be a problem with Belichick. And now he's going into year three where I think he settled on the edge, but still primarily as a pass rush specialist. And that's also something that happened in Michigan. He didn't play more than half the snaps right. in college. And a guy you're looking going, there's so much untapped potential here. Three years later, we're saying the same stuff. So I guess yeah. I just left you Ronnie Perkins. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate that. <laughs> uh, no, uh, look, I just in talking to people there about him and again, when we saw him in the spring, his shorts and t-shirts. But what I've been told about him is the, just a physicality. So you talk about potential edge setter, that maybe he's that guy that can be sort of that consistent player on the edge for them, that he's strong, um, has a good base, you know, all the football nonsense. So based on what's happened at that position, and I again, going back to the conversation we had earlier about just the overall view of linebacker, like, they need something that <laughs> one of those guys, more than one of those guys has to emerge. And I think they put a lot of resources into Ronnie, hoping that, you know, he can give them a little bit more consistency on the edge than maybe they would get from Josh. Certainly, like you said, Josh, not really known as a, as a run run guy and probably gonna, that's probably not ever going to be his thing. So to me, he's the third down specialist, but if Ronnie's a good first and second down player and Uche is the third down specialist and you get good production from that, those two guys in one position, then I think you've done just fine. Yeah. I saw this when I was writing about the linebackers again last week and Ronnie Perkins back in that 2021 class. I don't know if he was the only linebacker or one of the few who had a plus 80, a grade above 80 from pro football focus against the run in the past. Say what you will about PFF. He was a pretty well-rounded guy who also fell, do I, do I think, a positive drug test, where he fell to whatever it was, pick 75, 85. And they just go, he's the best player on the board. They didn't need an edge player in that 2021 draft. Took him anyway. So I think their expectations are, you certainly got enough talent here. The physical fit is clear. And we didn't really need you to play last year. But I, I wouldn't bank on him as coming in and stepping in and playing right away. Ideally, you'd have a platoon. Like you said, Perkins first and second down. Uche comes in on third. Perkins might you know, rotate in with that pass rush package because they're going to need it given their secondary talent or lack thereof. But uh, that's just kind of where you are. You're hoping yep. and waiting and seeing and crossing your fingers and welcome to Patriots 2022 training yep, camp. There's baby. a lot of hope and pray that that guy's going to turn out to be a decent player for us. That's, there's a lot of that on defense. Yeah. All right, Mike Jardy, we have kept you way longer than I think either of us anticipated, but this was a lot of fun. I don't think we missed anything. Like, even if we did, you're going to tell me no, because you need to go eat dinner. But like, as far as training camp goes, Mac, the defense. What am coaches, I eating early? I know I'm old, but I'm not. It's like early bird special for God's sakes. It's like 530. Yeah. I got oh, that little side swipe. I got to take my teeth out and, you know, gum my food to death. No, um, 
no, I think we, I think we hit on a lot. I think there's, it's an interesting camp. I think last year we looked at it with all the new guys and there was the excitement. And obviously we spent, a, you know, all of us, our eyes were trained on Mac basically the entire time. And now this time, I think there's a lot of different places where your eyes can go and you could get caught up in some of the battles that are going to happen. At least if I'm the Patriots, I hope the term battle is the one you're using, not you're settling on someone, that there's actually some real competition amongst guys that are elevating their play. So I, I think there's a lot of different places across that on defense and even some spots on offense. So um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's, uh, it's, it's different. I don't, I don't, if you, if you said like, where are they? I'm not sure they're a playoff team right now, but you know, it's a little development from this guy, this guy, another player steps up, then maybe they, they are on that, you know, six, seven train. Yeah. And a couple of things for people going to camp reminder, it's a long summer. I talked to someone within the team last year. who said, look, when you guys were writing, and Mac Jones won the job in those joint practices against the Giants, which was in late August. That was true. So we're a month away from getting to late August right. when the preseason is going to wrap up. We still don't know a lot and particularly don't know the most important thing. So who's going to play corner? Who's going to start on the opposite edge? How good does Mac look? I'm going to write 2,000 words a day. You can find them at bostonherald.com. But wait until we have some trends because the truth is in the trends and we're just going to need that. And Or otherwise, of course, you can pass your time watching Mike from the NFL Network. <laughs> see now um yeah absolutely i agree with 100 i'm just gonna i, I completely agree because i gotta you know i gotta eat my my steak and potatoes at 5 30 yeah all right take those teeth out make sure you're brushing nice and clean because you're gonna be on tv a whole lot we can't wait to see you appreciate the time mike gotcha